0: Hello from Cybrary and Delinea and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry Podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at From all of us at Cybrary and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast. I'm Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Delinea. And it's a pleasure to be here with you for another exciting episode. And I've got an awesome guest, a, a true superhero person who's fighting fighting cybercrime every single day. So welcome to the show, Philip Aman. Uh, can you tell us about yourself and, and what you do and some of the favorite things you get up to? Well,
0: first of all, thanks for having me. It's really great. You know, a pleasure to be on your podcast and uh, looking forward to the discussion. So, uh, Philippe Amann, I'm the head of strategy of the European Cybercrime Center. We're part of Europol, uh, Europol being, you know, the uh, EU's law enforcement agency. So as you uh, you know, mentioned, our main job is support uh, the EU member states in combating cybercrime.
1: Fantastic. And what's, what's some of the things, what, what's your favorite things get up to? What, what's some of your passions? Do you have any exciting things that uh, you enjoy doing yourself? You mean apart from, you know, work and cybercrime? <laughs> well, definitely. You, know, you see the back and background. It's actually, you
0: know, I do like to cycle. Uh, you know, we're based in The Hague. So uh, being close to the sea, you know, I'm, I come originally from a landlocked country. So being close to the sea and, you know, doing all sorts of, you know, swimming, you know, going uh, sailing. I think that's something, uh, uh, well, a passion. And mm-hmm. I'm still developing that. But, uh, you know, that's that's. Uh, sending some
1: of the things that I would love to do and you know the Netherlands is a perfect country for that it's a perfect place for that absolutely and today's topic is you know is is definitely it's it's all about and it's one that we've had numerous discussions on over the past couple of years at different events that we've we've been uh, meeting up at and for me it's, I think it's a big passion anytime an opportunity comes up to talk about the complexities of fighting cybercrime because it's not easy um you know in you know bringing something from a, an initial investigation Right through the prosecution, um, that can actually, you know, be a very long process. Can be a very complex process. Uh, can you tell me, you know, what is, you know, how do some of the investigations start? What is the starting point for investigating a cyber crime? How do they get brought to attention? Um, who brings them to attention? Is it, you know, country certs? Is it law enforcement? Is it the victims? What's the initial process look like?
0: So yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think it is a very you know, complicated space to be in that requires a very sort of holistic uh, response involving different different communities. So for us, I think what's quite unique, and, you know, in case, you know, just to explain how Europol works, um, what's quite unique is for us is that we, sub, you know, we don't start our own investigations. We're here to support member states or non-EU partners with whom we have an operation agreement. So, um, and, you know, we provide those services. So typically to, to answer your question, what happens is it will be, you know, a member state that says, mm-hmm. so, well, you know, can you please help us? Um, and they may get that information from industry in the country or, mm-hmm. you know, from the CSERT community uh, or from, you know, most likely uh, or which is very common from the national law enforcement agency. Mm-hmm. And um, what you typically have is, especially with cyber crime, you know, it will involve two or more countries uh, mm-hmm. Which is one of the, you know, criteria to for Europol to become active. So this is where I think, as as an agency and as EC3, the European Cybercrime Centre, I think we really embody the, if you will, the law enforcement as a service, uh, mm-hmm. you know, principles. We provide key services, key expertise to member states. Uh, but it is complicated, as you said, and and it's typically, you know, the successes that we have is the result of, you know, one, two, three, four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, four-year-long uh, investigations that require
1: um, a truly, often a truly international network to be mm-hmm. successful. Absolutely. And for me, I, you know, definitely, it's, once you get into, you know, it, it, is it different when it's only happening within the European members? Because um, I love what you said, is you know, law enforcement is a service. Because for me, being being based in Estonia, the government do see themselves as a service provider to the citizens. And I really do see law enforcement you know, as, as a service, um, you know, to the citizens as well and, and to corporates and, and businesses and and, and uh, countries and so forth. Um, for when it gets into, you know, if that cyber crime is within the EU, does it typically work faster than having to work with outside members or is it, is all types of, you know, cyber crime investigations uh, and prosecutions typically, you know, take the same amount of time. Is there differences in, in how accelerated it can be?
0: Well, there are definitely differences. And I think, um, you know, if, if everything were to be within the EU uh, in terms of infrastructure, the perpetrators and victims, that can speed up processes just because it's, you know, in terms of cross-border cooperation, the legal mm-hmm. basis, there's more clarity, there's existing processes and, and, and connections in place. Whereas if it involves non-EU countries, you may have you know delays there. Typically, the mutual legal assistance treaty is an example where we know that sometimes it takes quite a while to get a response to that. So um, this is actually one of the you know the, the forward-looking strategic part where we try to see you know how can we work together to improve some of those processes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really also depends on the topic. You know, as EC3 we cover. Well, four main areas, really. So it's mm-hmm. cyber dependent crime, cyber crime. It's payment fraud. It's um, you know the abuse of the dark web, and then it's mm-hmm. combating child sex abuse online. And so, depending also on what area we're talking about, what area we support, and mm-hmm. what you know, the investigation is about, th- there will be differences because mm-hmm. um, you know different perpetrators, different OPSEC standards. So some of those investigations, particularly for instance, mm-hmm. in the area of child sex abuse online. Where perpetrators tend to have very high operation security standards can be can become very technical and typically mm-hmm. you know require an international response. So um, it depends, and yeah, I would say within the EU and you know the more sort of a, a crime cybercrime case is is limited geographically speaking, uh, the the faster you may get a response. But you know it really depends. You know you might mm-hmm. have cases where even although they're within the EU. It might still take a long time because of the complexity, because of the
1: dependencies, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So,
0: in general, it just it, it, it is very difficult, as you would probably know as well.
1: Yeah. So one of the yeah you know, one of the kind of next things, uh, you know, what what is the most common types of investigations? You mentioned a little bit about you know um, let's say you know uh, you know financial fraud, payments, and other types. What's the most common that you would typically get to see across your, you know uh, from you know your organization? Um, what would be the most common that you would see? Um, that would you know typically kind of the one that we should be more concerned about. Well, it's definitely, and I think you know that that shouldn't come as a surprise. I think ransomware
0: really, really is is the top threat, and uh, what we see there is that the impact of ransomware goes way beyond the financial damage. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 a global cybersecurity risk if we're talking about the tax against critical infrastructure against, you know, the hospitals, it, it is something that goes, you know, really is, is, is a risk for public safety. Uh, uh you know, everybody's life, you know, uh, you know, can be threatened by, by, impacted by a cyber attack. You think about, you know, attack against a, a hospital. Um, mm-hmm. so this is really the top list, which is also, which also means that, you know, we support a lot of investigation in that space. We also work, um, in different uh, coalitions and networks um, mm-hmm. that try to come up with a response, with a coordinated response, not just at the EU level, but also globally. So I think that's, um, you know, uh, also very important. But then there are other, you know, we shouldn't forget there are many other types of criminal uh, activity as well. We see, you know, a peak, um, a tick, uh, or, you know, uptake in, in mobile malware. And I think that just mm-hmm. reflects how we use our phones these days, you know, and obviously, what we react to that, we, we still have a lot of... Uh, CEO fraud, business email compromise, where yeah. we also see
1: criminals now abusing
0: AI, artificial intelligence, you know, to emulate yeah. the voice of CEOs. The
1: voice so and videos is, is uh, only uptick very much, yes. Absolutely. And I think
0: so those things are no longer the future. This is this is happening already. So, um, you know, then obviously we have, unfortunately, in the area of child sexual abuse online, um, mm-hmm. you know, significant increase in the production and distribution of material, uh, of child sexual abuse material, um yeah, the payment fraud, I think, you know, still mm-hmm. cardinal present fraud, credit card fraud, huge problem, but also attacks against ATMs. Attack. Mm-hmm. So it's a, really a whole range of, of problems and, and challenges that we face, but uh, definitely for the time being ransomware really pops them uh, for sure.
1: Yeah, I think I recently attended the first conference. For me, it was very insightful because, you know, for me, I've always been, you know, Looking at ransomware and you know financial fraud and business email compromise, but that event really opened up my kind of horizon more to um, a broader scope of criminal activities that happens you know using the internet, um, and it you know wasn't limited to what I'm just used to. As you mentioned, you know, uh, child sex abuse for me that was pretty shocking about you know the extent, and especially uh, how it's accelerated uh, over the pandemic as well. Um, that was quite shocking, and I you know. Having anyone who has to work in that type of environment to to investigate, and uh, I think that's you know that's a difficult job to be doing. Um, can you know yeah. definitely lead to you know trauma and stress uh, in some of those environments. So um, for the people that's you know working to bring those cases to prosecution and and you know basically you know and find because it's not just they're being abused but they're also being trafficked as well and they you know may not be. Uh, with the parents, uh, they may be, you know, uh, uh, basically, you know, trafficking across multiple countries. So some of that was quite shocking. Um, absolutely. One of the things I, I'd love, you know, I loved Miko's recent comment that he made. <laughs> it was that um, he put, basically quote out saying that we're no longer securing computers. That's, as a, that's a thing of the past. What we are securing now today is society and the digital society. To your point, you know, it's about everything that we do day to day is based on technology. Uh, Whether it being you taking a bus or traveling somewhere or purchasing something or doing online shopping, uh, communicating with friends, or even going to, for example, medical, uh, you know, was it uh, surgeries and appointments. Everything today is touching technology. And uh, the severity, you know, I think for me, uh, one of the memories that I've had uh, was, you know, what's my worst nightmare? And I think the impact that technology can have is, you know, that can actually result in deaths. Um, is that something that you would see, you know, have you seen any uh, evidence of, of that today? Or is that you know, something that uh, is directly related or indirect? Uh, what, what, what do you see in that area?
0: Well, first of all, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think it is, It is. Um, you know, I'm old enough to, you know, when I, when I used to go online, I, you had two computers <laughs> screaming at each other, you know, so it was a very conscious step you had to take to be online. And then, you know, it was definitely the Wild West. Back then, but maybe less, less of uh, you know, definitely less criminality, I would say. Um, but now, of course, you know, now we have a situation as you, you know, to your point, where being online is the norm, and a lot of times you don't even recognize that anymore. You know, we have devices around us or on our body or within our body that are connected to the internet. So I think in that sense, obviously, we create new dependencies, new quote-unquote critical infrastructure. Um, now, I remember, you know, back in two thousand fourteen. Every year we publish our mm-hmm. Internet Organized Crime Assessment Report, which is, at, you know, from Landscape in the EU. What has happened in the last 12 months, we're trying to predict the future, and then we sometimes have a little bit of exotic topics where, you know, in 2015, I think we, we already spoke about quantum computing and the implementations mm-hmm. of that and artificial intelligence. But I remember in 2014, so the first time we published it, you know, and, you know, it, it was obviously very exciting for us. And I remember we quoted uh, um, uh, an industry partner that predicted the first cyber death for 2015. And of course that was, you know, even though it was just a quote, of course what mm-hmm. happens then is, you know, it says Europol predicts the first cyber death. <laughs> but if you think about it, you know, I mean, you know, we know pacemakers have cybersecurity mm-hmm. risks. We know insulin pumps have cyber cybersecurity risks. You know, of course it's, you know, it, it's possible that you could, you know, tamper with those devices and potentially there won't be any logs. So it's very hard to actually to prove that. So to point, I think you know, it's 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 likely it, it could have happened. Maybe we haven't seen it. We have, of course, mm-hmm. and then we had, you know, speaking of ransomware cases, for instance, in Germany, where a patient yeah. had to be transferred from one ICU to another ICU because of a ransomware attack. I, I think there wasn't a, a causality, but there was certainly a link to that. You know, and and so Correct. this is this is a, a very very likely scenario, and Absolutely. and yeah, it, it is about keeping society safe. It's it's no longer just an IT problem.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it brings back a lot of memories that for me, you know, uh, having managing large IT systems over the years. And I definitely think there's a big difference between having a direct fatality related to, you know, a very targeted type of attack. Um, you know, that we'd be using technology indirectly. directly, you know, target someone. Um, but definitely, I think there's been a lot of cases of probably indirect, such as the, as you mentioned, the, the case in Germany where, you know, a ransomware attack uh, brought down a certain service and they had to be re- retransferred to another hospital for that um, procedure. Um, I've seen over the years, I, I mean, I myself, I was responsible for the Northern Ireland ambulance service for a period of time. And for me, you know, if the, those systems were down for longer than 23 minutes, people died because mm-hmm. that was the measurement of SLA that we had, that basically if an ambulance wasn't able to get to a patient within that amount of time, the average would be that the potential uh, casualty as a result of that. Um, so if you think about just emergency phone lines, you know, critical systems, if, if we weren't able to get an ambulance to the address or we, we, the system that we were looking for, for let's say GPS positioning was not available. How could we find that person? Um, so there's a lot of systems we heavily rely on, you know, um, the postal records, the medical records, the uh, GPS location, um, the communication side of things. Um, even to the point uh, back then, we actually had installed defibrillators and uh, EPGs in the ambulances, and they were directly communicating back to the emergency rooms in order to actually share the criticality of the patient before they arrived. Imagine that if those systems were unavailable available as well, that um, you know the doctors wouldn't be able to prepare in the emergency room to know what to have, what's on the way, what's what's the priority, what types of systems they might need, or what types of beds they need available. So for me, absolutely, I, you know, I strongly believe that this is becoming much more critical, and I think you know that we will see cases uh, both direct and indirect. I think it's more about the reporting of it. I think that's what we're probably not having is the, the logging and auditing of it um so you know for me um I, I definitely think this is an area of concern um what for for you what kind of what's the areas that we should be working towards and how do we get more success going forward because i have seen you know can you can you mention some of the successes that you've had in recent times because i think um i think we definitely need to report on the successes as well um can you share some of those ex- successes that that you've seen uh cases of so absolutely and i think
0: that's I guess that's what you were also alluding to is, is, you know, when you talk about cyber and cyber risks and threats, uh, it becomes very, you know, sort of, uh, you know, gloomy and dark, you know, <laughs> I, I think the world is coming to an end. And I think uh, I like your point. I mean, you know, if you turn this around, first of all, there are successes. And secondly, you know, um, yes, there's cyber risks and threats, but there are huge opportunities that come with that, you know, all things we just discussed, you know, in the medical area, you know, the medical Uh, internet of things, you know, being able Mm -hmm. to specifically target a treatment to a patient. I think that's, those are huge improvements and, you know, smart devices, you Mm -hmm. know, um, um, and of course, our, I think our task is really, or our challenge is to work together. And it's always just not law enforcement. That's, you know, that's the CSET community, that's industry, that's academia, that's, you know, civil society, everybody come together to make sure that we actually turn that into something, you know, secure and safe cyberspace that we call So I think... To get there, um, I think a lot of the things that we need to do, we've been discussing for the last 10, 15 years. You know, Mm -hmm. we used this expression that sharing information and collaboration is the thoughts and prayers of the cybersecurity community. (laughs) And and, and so I think working towards solving the issues and say, you know, how do we overcome the legal challenges? How do we overcome Mm. the the technical challenges in the form of tools? How do we build trust? And, And how do we create situations where you know, pipelines that go both ways, you know, because and mm-hmm. I know that law enforcement is sometimes, um, you know, guilty one way of that. <laughs> it's a one-way one way street. street. <laughs> and, and for legal and investigative reasons, it's very hard to give back. But, you know, at least what we could do, and we try to do that, you know, mm-hmm. tell our industry partners to say, well, this is, you know, this is the success, you know, or give credit to them. So I think there is still a lot you can do without, you know, um, having encountering any any legal uh, confidentiality issues, uh, so so there are these challenges. I think for me, it really is actually it's not so much about creating something new or finding the solution. I think the solutions are there. It's more about you know walking the talk and and seeing how do we actually implement that. And and one of the challenges I actually see there is that there is it's not a there's not a lack of initiatives. There's probably potentially too many, you know, and I could think of mm-hmm. so many, you know, the Cyber Threat Alliance, you know, doing great work and, and, mm-hmm. you know, the Joint Cyber Unit proposed by the Commission that will have an information sharing part. Um, there's, you know, the, the the Cyber Defense Alliance, you know, from the is from mm-hmm. a boss heading there. Uh, so many different initiatives where, you know, yeah, of, yeah,
1: the, the more task, task, yeah, task force as well. And Thank you. No more the ISEX, yeah. ISEX,
0: you know, they're all, you know, it's all about information sharing. So I think, um, you know maybe also to see how we can ensure that they complement mm-hmm. each other, don't have unnecessary overlap. Um but what I do feel I think we now have a momentum where we're going into the right way where people realize, you know what? We need to also, you know, overcome some of the trust issues that we may mm-hmm. still have. You know, for instance, if you take law enforcement and C we have I think come a long way to realize, hey, you know, you know, we we're, we're strong, we're stronger mm-hmm. together. We're equal partners and we all both can sort of Bringing something to the table.
1: Yeah, we're all fighting the same crime and the same criminal yeah. organization. And, you know, I found we're all you know, superheroes in our own way. It's more about, you know, it's getting it's getting the Avengers, you know, coming together, <laughs> working together. Um, and as you know, there's a lot of superheroes out there doing different things. We just got to work together and communicate. I do have to say, I have seen a major difference uh, since I think it was around, I think the highlight was around 2019 that I saw a turnaround. Um, and it was at the Talon Digital Summit in Estonia. Um, and it was basically where it was about you know, private industry and law enforcement working together to come up with basically an, you know, an AI uh, understanding about how to accept you know, use AI with responsibility and accountability um, and when it's, when it's good and when it's not good to use. And for me, that was one of the first times where it was, it was bi directional. It was very open. And as a result, we've, we've got, you know, that was the starting point where kind of was a lot of government's initiatives and plans to really target how do we make sure that we're using AI in the right way and not getting into worse being abused. And it was very directional. It was, you know, it was very cooperation. It was two way communication. And as a result of that, you know, it's accelerated a lot to the EU AI Act that we're starting to see now. Um, I also, you know, um, was it uh, also mentioned to to Christopher Krebs recently? I, I commended him and his initiative with the CISA in the U.S. as well, where they started actually proactively sharing intelligence information in order for the community to try and defend together. Um, so for me, it was, you know, I, I remember even recently hearing uh, a, a, a talk from uh, one of the uh, FBI uh, uh, was it uh, uh, officers as well, where he said, you know, they've been listening for 100 years, and now they're they're, they're struggling to get to the point where they're starting to talk more. Uh, and that's a new, a new direction for them. For me, I definitely, in the last couple of years, it has been more cooperation <clears throat> rather than that one-way communication. I think even with Europol as well, I think definitely I'm starting to see that, you know, ability to start working together and make sure that we can, you know, reduce, uh, you know, the safe places for criminals to operate and bring those prosecutions to to a faster uh, closure as well. So, absolutely, you know, you asked for examples, I mean, Emotet
0: takedown. I think that was a great example. Um, Yes, you know, it's coming back, but you know, the sort of the race continues to be that way. But I think that sort of really brought together industry, Mm CSED community, uh, law enforcement, the uh, cryptocurrency community, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all the different partners. It was a long and complex investigation, but you know, at the end, a huge impact um, or through bot, you know, another example recently. Mm-hmm. And what we saw there is also, you know, it's not always law enforcement. It's well, quite often potentially, you know, industry or, you know, sister community or academia that may have mm-hmm. a solution, you know, and have, and then it's all about sharing that solution within the community. Mm-hmm. So uh, to your point, I think that's really has improved. But the reality, of course, it is, it is uh, you know, it takes a lot of resources and, you know, it's one case at mm-hmm. a time. And, of course, we prioritize those uh, high-value targets that typically will have a huge impact, or we hope will have a huge impact mm-hmm. on um, the cyber crime, you know, ecosystem as it were. But it, it, how, you know,
1: Yeah, absolutely. How, yeah. how critical is, it? you know, one of the things I've seen in the last couple of years, especially when you get to ransomware service or even organized crime now entering into this space, um, of, you know, of cybercrime. It's becoming an extra, you know, part of their, you know, let's say <laughs> business model uh, per se. Um, and you started seeing a lot of criminals getting into specialization. How is that impacting where, you know, a cybercriminal can go and say, I will get the access, I will purchase her from this criminal gang, I will go and buy this type of ransomware or malware from this, you know, um, malware creator. Um, I will use another help desk organization to do the communication. I will use this cryptocurrency in order to to do the the funneling and and uh, uh, cleaning cleaning the, the the money trail. How is that impacting the investigations? Where you're no longer just dealing with one, you know, central organized crime, and you've got many different uh, elements.
0: Well, obviously, I, I mean, as you said, it, it it lowers the entry barrier for a lot of criminals, and and you know, if you start with sort of I would say the sort of the low tech services in the sense, mm-hmm. you know, think about distributed denial service attacks where you, you can, you know, purchase uh, booters and stressors online and, you know, right. for a small fee per month, you know, everybody without any technical knowledge can attack, you know, any kind of website, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a problem because that, you know, opens up the the dark side of the internet, if you will, to, to everyone. And then if you can think mm-hmm. to the more, as you just described, more specialized services, uh, it definitely had an impact because it means that, um, you know, criminals get more, it becomes more professional, if if mm-hmm. I can put it that way. Um, you know, th- attacks are more, you know, harder to defend against, you know, because, and, and, and you know, take another example, you know, counter uh, AV services, counter mm-hmm. Aversa services, one of the examples of the services that, you know, you also mentioned as part of the crime as a service model where you know if I've developed my malware. I can actually use that service to check whether the current you know AV tools in the market will detect it or not. And of course, that means you know if they don't, you have some degree of, of confidence that you know you will remain potentially be undetected. Mm-hmm. So that that's a challenge. It also means you know we see um, a significant grow in in scope. Um, in, in, uh, in financial damage, you know, in mm-hmm. volume, um, especially when we talk about um, high volume, low value attacks, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is from an investigative point of view, a huge challenge because we don't have the resources to uh, to, to focus on those. So that's where mm-hmm. obviously prevention and, uh, and awareness disruption becomes hugely important. And we do a lot of those uh, activities as well. You know, you mentioned no more ransom, yeah. but you know, if you turn this around, you know, what What is the posture thing? Well, you know, you may be able to focus on certain key services that, uh, you, you, you know, facilitate or, or mm-hmm. power the, the crimes of service model. And if you take those and target those and disrupt those, mm-hmm. that may have quite a significant impact on, on the
1: rest of, of, of the ecosystem. So it also gives you opportunities, obviously. Yeah. Look at this from a, a massive ecosystem supply chain and targeting the, the critical mass parts that... that most of those smaller entry level criminals are taking advantage of if you take down the supply chain you know then everyone uh, will fail um, in that in that ecosystem exactly. so i yeah. think that's probably one of the key things what types i mean what types of resources you know that you need to help kind of moving forward because we do have a massive skills issue and resources are you know, hard to come by what types of skill sets and resources is your organization need and looking for and um, and hopefully, you know, anyone out there who's listening to this, maybe it's something that they might be interested in and in, in seeking as a as a future career choice. Uh, how do they? How, you know, what's the path to to those who are in in this uh, industry to becoming a superhero? <laughs> so,
0: well, I think you know, I, I wouldn't see ourselves as a, as superheroes. As you said, I think everybody involved in that fight is a superhero because they all have a, a you know a, a part to play. I mean, there's this well that that famous story about you know, somebody uh, working for NASA and just, you know, being a, a cleaning person and you ask that person about well, help you get a rocket to the moon. I think that's, is everybody's, you know, part part of part of this game and and, and being their own type of uh, superhero. I think for us, it really is that point. Like I initially said, law enforcement as a service, providing key services and expertise, access service to the member states. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, the 27 member states don't have to build up the same... Level of expertise and tooling, you know, because they can rely on your uh, it, be, it becomes shared.
1: It becomes exactly. shared, and you have then expertise visibility across what, what's happening in other locations as well. Exactly.
0: Plus, I think, you know, we, we do provide these sort of network of networks. So, mm-hmm. leveraging, you know, the power of the network. So, we have as EC3, uh, U, the European Cybercrime Center, we have three advisory groups with about 70 mm-hmm. top level experts from the security industry, from the banking sector, and from the telecommunications sector. And and we work with them, you know, uh, on those issues. And it could be, you know, related to investigations, it could be operational, technical, it could be related to capacity building, or it could be a policy related issue where we try to find, you know, or inform discussions at that level, it's really depending on what the issues are. So um I think this leveraging effect is is also something that really I would think you know is 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 a service to to member states. So for us, you know, it's different profiles really, I think, you know, very technical, you know, related to digital forensics, operation experience can do, um, you know, run investigations, analysts, but then also people who are, you know, uh, you know, aware of policies and, and, you know, can work in that, in that space. So it's a, a range of different profiles that need to come together to be successful. And I think, you know, looking at law enforcement, I think, you know, those colleagues, uh, uh, you know, they—they. They, I think now, you know, we're seeing generations, new generations come out that you know have been always, you know, be exposed to to, to a digital environments. So I think they're probably more potentially more equipped to you know mm-hmm. be able to work in that field. But but having said that, I think equally we've seen a lot of uh, other colleagues, you know, being in the field for a long time, that they've been able to to scale up and skill up. Um, and then, of course, you have that combination of technical expertise and long standing investigative experience, mm-hmm. which is equally important. I think you know we we talk about artificial intelligence and tools support at the end of the day, we need to have human beings look at the data, make sense of it, you know yeah. analyze it and and use their investigative experience
1: to, to- math mass reduction is what AI is all about is is let us right. focus on the things that's the most important things and and try to get rid of the noise. Um, definitely it's uh, I've had a lot of fun discussions around uh, uh, that topic in recent months. Um, you know, if 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 the audience, you know, with some of the audience who's, who's in this industry or looking at the industry, where would they go to see what positions are open at uh, at Europeall Cybercrime? Well, I think you know a
0: lot of our positions, obviously, would be, especially in the operation
1: department, would be
0: sort of law enforcement only. So that's for for law enforcement to you know, are interested interesting ideas. So it would be analysts, specialists in different mm-hmm. areas, obviously. The European Cybercrime Centre is just one of the centres established at mm-hmm. Europol. We were the first one in January two thousand thirteen. But, you know, we have the latest one is looking into into financial crime. Uh, we have one dealing with counterterrorism. So really, you know, a whole a range of different profiles and and crime areas that where we look mm-hmm. for, for for colleagues. But then we also have you know a very large ICT department, as you would really imagine. So we're also looking for data analysts, um, mm-hmm. you know, just ICT people with a strong ICT profile. So
1: the whole range, you know, check out our website. I think there's a whole range of <laughs> interesting
0: <laughs> we'll profiles. I'll definitely
1: make sure to get the website in the uh, show notes Maybe for sure yeah. so that people can go directly to. One of the questions I've got is that, because, uh, you know, Europol is one that I've worked with many for many years, and also, you know, even the NATO Cyber Defense Center of Excellence and other c across the, the world. Um, and as you mentioned, it's all about cooperation and, and working together. And one that was recently interesting was around the Department of Justice in the U.S., had released their new strategy about tackling ransomware and and, and cyber cyber terrorism, cyber crime. Uh, what's your thoughts on the strategy that they put out? which, which is really taking more offensive approach <laughs> um, than what they've done historically? Um, is that something you kind know, of that we should all be looking at, or is that something you know they'll be working together with other international? Because as you mentioned at the beginning, a lot of these crimes are across border. Um, they're not typically, and I was always a bit worrying about when you start taking the offensive side. It means that you definitely can't leave that to private industry to take, carry that out. I prefer to have you know the law enforcement or the agencies and countries that are authorized to do that because you never know when a proxy or a country that's that's also a victim is being abused. Um, so what's your thoughts around around that type of initiative?
0: Well, so I think first of all, just you know so as a caveat, that' not something that Europol will be involved in. I mean, we support member states, so you know they lead the the investigations, we support them. Mm-hmm. um I think as a general point as you just you know mentioned I think taking offensive steps uh, i think it comes with a lot of risks you know as you mm-hmm. said it can be misinterpreted interpreted you know there might be unwanted side effects knock-on effects yeah. that you can't control so uh, i think in that regard I think it's a very risky strategy um again you know Europol wouldn't be involved in that mm-hmm. um now Specifically on the strategy you mentioned, I think we noted with interest, to put it that way, that there was, um, it, it seemed the way I understood it was there's a sort of a priority given to disruption and mm-hmm. taking down critical infrastructure over potential prosecution. So the way I read it, it's like, well, you know, if, if we have a chance to disrupt the infrastructure the current business model, and take the risk that we, you know, tip off the criminals, that's gonna, gonna be the priority. And and that probably was informed also by the fact that, you know, we do see criminal safe havens. And, and you know, that's, yeah. that's I think a, a reality for any kind of cybercrime investigation is that, you know, um, apart from the technical challenges, the cross-border challenges, the legal challenges, you know, even you get to the point where you identify the perpetrators, the criminals, they may be sitting in, in, in jurisdictions that are less cooperative, and, and so you don't no. get to them.
1: Yeah, that so, it might be not even considered a crime in those countries uh, because the laws are so old and, and outdated and still, you know, from the 80s and 90s.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think, you know, then that that's, uh,
0: so, so. I think it's certainly a very interesting interesting um, strategy. But like I said, for us, you know, that's not, not, not something that europol would definitely not be involved in. Uh, and I personally definitely see, a lot of risks uh, that come with it. And and so, you know, if, we, if if a country were to take those steps, I think uh, you really have to have a very good understanding of, you know, the pros and cons, as it were. Yeah, you,
1: you have to be accountable true. and uh, responsible yeah. when you take those types of actions. And it should, you know, maybe be considered as a last resort overall. Because for me, I think prosecution should always be the primary objective and, you know, offensive is the last resort when you've run out of all possible options including policy and you know uh, uh you know, political yeah. side of things yeah for me i think those should always be the primary and because um the offensive measures are, are temporary measures because you're, you're just limiting you're, you're just basically pushing them down down in the future um, until they, they set up new infrastructure and, and redo it again because you know, people have backups, not just the, the, the good organizations and the good people. Um, the criminals also have backups as well. Um, and uh, we suspect that uh, they can restore those and recover. Um, one of the things you just mentioned on it, it's definitely a, a passion of mine is, is less safe havens. For me, that's, that, was, that would be the measurement that we should be looking at as a primary measurement is because the less safe havens that these perpetrators can operate from, I think the more safer digital, digital society we, we get. If you look at you know, even just the likes of North Korea, for example, um, while you know they can't operate those activities from within the country, they tend to operate from other countries that are you know let's say uh, more connected um, and give them the bandwidth and the, the ability to operate. But again, countries that may not have um, cooperation. Um, for me, it's all about getting you know going back to the cooperation, transparency, working together, um, you know that uh, and and kind of getting rid of. Most of those safe havens, so that you know, putting pressure on governments to cooperate and and not allow cyber criminals to to use their infrastructure to attack others. Um, what's what's your thoughts around that approach? Is it?
0: Well, I think, like I said, I think you know
1: we need to work together to to
0: make cyberspace safer and more secure. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, we need to address criminal abuse. We need to address uh, criminal safe havens and see how we can collectively. You know, um, uh, find a, a address those those mm-hmm. issues. I think for us, you know, obviously the EU has. Um, I think it's quite quite effective. Very effective is the, the cyber diplomacy toolbox. You know, with the different mm-hmm. um, measures and options that the EU has to to respond to, to that and use them uh, in in that context. Uh, but like you said, I think it's 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 like with any kind of sort of global issues. You know, the community uh, needs to come together and see. You know, how do mm-hmm. how do we how do we address that? What are the problems? Is it a technical problem? Sometimes, you know, it could be a capacity problem in the sense mm-hmm. that the country may not be actually aware of the fact that they're being abused, that their infrastructure is being abused. So, you know, okay. so you, might, you might solve the problem by, you know, providing services and helping them, you know, upscale their security. Um, and then there might be other measures and other situations where we need to work together. So, I, you know, obviously, I'm sure you're aware of it, you know, the, 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 the discussions that have been kicked off at UN level uh, with the mm-hmm. new cybercrime treaty. Um, you know, this is obviously something we follow. Absolutely. We're not r- directly involved in it, but we follow that very closely. I mean, we have obviously the Budapest Convention as, as the effective tool, mm-hmm. you know, probably the only tool or the only tool right now to provide that legal basis to combat cybercrime. But uh, now obviously we need to follow those discussions now as well. But I think the key point for me is to have the community to identify those uh, measures that are most effective and efficient in addressing in addressing those issues and of course if we talk about you know it's it's of course you know cyberspace but you know you could take probably any kind of
1: mm-hmm.
0: crime area you'll always have those criminal safe havens potentially depending on on, on what crime it is
1: yeah. we, there'll always be those places but we can always kind of look to restrict you know, their ability to to strike another uh, nations and, and and maybe you know even hold them to, you know, political or economical, you know, kind of um, uh, restrictions kinda, uh, until, you know, they decide that, you know, cybercrime is not a, not a business that they want to support. Um, so, so I absolutely agree. Um, for for, for, for what's, what types of resources do you make available? Just kind of if there was places that uh, the audience can go get resources that are valuable. You mentioned the, the yearly annual report that you, you produce. Is there other types of materials or resources that the audience could find very valuable that would help? Um, they, you know, join in the, the fight of, of cybercrime?
0: Well, definitely, you know, our annual report, um, which we published on our website. So all these reports um, I've mentioned uh, are on our website. We've uh, not too long ago published a report on the criminal uses and abuses of artificial intelligence together with uh, Unicry and Trend Micro. That's on our website. Uh, and then more recently, we had a dedicated report on deepfakes and law enforcement. Okay. That was I o- think. O- coordinated by Innovation Lab. Uh, we recently had a, a workshop on uh, the Metaverse, policing the Metaverse. So are looking into <laughs> that as well. So that's also something we try to do, sort of, you know, become more proactive, mm-hmm. look ahead, you know, get ahead of the curve, um, you know, take cryptocurrencies. For instance, we had our annual conference um, this year on cryptocurrencies was dedicated to decentralized finance. Mm-hmm. And it, it's quite amazing to look at that because you, you go like, well, you know, a normal cryptocurrency transaction is the default. We all need mm-hmm. to know. Also, law enforcement, you know, had to investigate that. But the future is already here. Again, you know, we're talking mm-hmm. about you know smart contracts. We're talking about liquidity pooling. We're talking about new contents, tokens, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they're being abused. We see this, you know, so that means again, you know, a huge challenge for law enforcement, but also industry as supposed to scale up and you know, you be ready and work together. Um. So we also have reports and conferences in that space. We have, um, um you know, also. To Which is probably, you know, I think, linked to definitely linked to our discussion. We, um, not longer together with Professor Mary Aiken, you know, we published. Yep.
1: With our I love, I, director. I love, the, yeah. the, the, I love the Mary cyber. Mary's input on the, the CSI cyber. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of, one of her, is amazing. Uh, to congratulate Mary. Um, for getting the keys to Dublin. a Fantastic uh, award. So, so for, for Miri, congratulations. We do applaud uh, everything <laughs> she does to the, to the community. Absolutely. Exactly well,
0: but we published uh, uh, together with, with, you know, and, and supported by executive director a position paper called the the Blue Line. So, the idea mm-hmm. was to, um, it's it sort of more sort of a general strategic position paper where we talk about, you know, where do you draw the line, the blue line, you know, what's the role of law enforcement? and shouldn't come as a surprise that also that calls the position paper calls for a discussion um you know mm-hmm. it's it's again it's not up to law enforcement it's up to industry you know mm-hmm. to set the standards create those realities that we all have to to live with um but really we need to come together collectively to decide what is it that we want in terms of you know online safety uh, online mm-hmm. security and if you will you know even the point that we just, just the point that we discussed about from safe havens that again is is a discussion to be had at, at that level at international mm-hmm. level to see how do we how do we approach that whether the measures whether the challenge is there so I think um, that's on our website um, so a lot of different reports but what I wanted mm-hmm. to specifically mention is first of all um, in terms of public-private partnership uh, I think one of the best examples I can think of is our normalma ransom initiative mm-hmm. so that's nomaransom.org. And it's something that we started about six years ago with two industry partners in the Dutch police, and uh, now it's available, I think, in 37 different languages, or 38, it might be. Yeah. Uh, and but most importantly, it gives you access to more than 120 different tools that you can use to decrypt your data for free. So mm-hmm. we've been able to help, well, uh, um, at least last year we had a, you know, we looked at the statistics, very conservative estimate. Um, after five years, so that was last year, June, July, uh, we've been able to, we were able to help 6.2 million victims, and some of them were wow. large corporations. Are to that.
1: That's that's impressive, and it's definitely a, it's a fantastic resource, and and one that you know always recommending that it, it's a, you know, if you think about you know how many people, uh, organizations is benefiting, you think about the savings of financial and and potentially lives as a result of that as well, because some people you know there, there has been instances you know that could be potentially devastating to people's lives financially and economically if those businesses are, are had to close um, exactly so, so i think you know that's a great kind of example of you know the impact that the organization and, and the service is having um one of the things i'd like to kind of get down to as well is that uh, um it's just kind of for the audience to kind of uh some final words of wisdom that you would like to share with the audience or, or you know um kind of what what things that they can do kind of to make a difference uh,
0: yeah uh, I think you know when we talk about cybercrime it, you know yes it's complicated you know it takes a lot of partners to be you know successful in investigations but I think we all can do something you know sometimes that become I think it can, can become a little bit overwhelming. You're like, okay, there's nothing I can do. You know, there's the, the 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 cyber Wild West out there. But I think you can do a lot. I think you can, you know, raise your own awareness. You know, um, work. You know, realize what you can do to protect yourself online. You know, use a password manager. Use multi-factor authentication. Um, be smart with your passwords. Be smart with your uh, digital online footprint, what you share online. So I think we can do a lot of things to raise the bar, to collectively raise the cyber the cybersecurity bar, to to make it that much harder for criminals to be successful. You know, I mean when you see something, you know, you get a spam email, think twice, you know, is that really, does that make sense, whatever you read, what whatever you read there. So I think we can do a lot. We can also work with our, you know, children. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like we teach them to be safe in the real world, you know, when they cross the street, I think equally Absolutely. work with them, you know, talk to them to, to let them know how they can be safe um, and secure online, But equally, other communities, you know, the elderly our uh, parents and grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, to, to help them, uh, you know, just be safe online. And it could be simple things like... You know, lock down their phones or make it very easy mm-hmm. for them to go online and and just minimize the risk. So I think what I'm trying to say is that I think there are many easy things we can do, like you know, having strong passwords, multi-factor authentication, mm-hmm. having backups, uh, being aware of what you share online.
1: That we can do to protect ourselves um, and make
0: uh, collectively, so, you know, everything everybody so safer and secure.
1: It get me thinking. We definitely need to expand the cyber ambassadors or mentors to society. Uh, Is is we have, you know, we've got, you know, helplines for many different things. Why don't we have helplines for, you know, digital safety? Um, You know, maybe that's an issue that we kind of need to think about. So, you know, if you have questions, you don't know, you know, who to ask. You know, it's not Ghostbusters you're going to call. It's it's the digital safety line. Exactly. <laughs> um, uh, so maybe maybe that's an issue that we need to consider going forward. And it did get me thinking. My mind started when you talked about the Metaverse. <laughs> I started thinking about what if my avatar or my my digital house gets stolen? <laughs> Exactly. Is, there a, yeah. is, there, is there a process for me to follow from a law enforcement perspective? You get a call saying, you know, my, my digital house and the metaverse had been stolen and I can't find it. <laughs> what, what do you do? It brings a right. lot of questions yeah. up. It's interesting, an interesting realm to go. Uh, Philip, Absolutely. you've been awesome uh, on the show and, and many thanks for you know answering. I always have lots of questions um, in my mind and so many thanks for going through and answering them all. Um, it's fantastic. I hopefully, uh, get to see you again in the near future. Uh, for the audience again, you know, it's been fantastic having Philip on. And, you know, to true, even though you don't have a cape, you are for me. We, we're one of the you know the infosec superheroes out there. It is truly you know really every single day, you know in in the you know fighting cybercrime and making sure that we actually the world can be a safer place. And as a result, you know you, you definitely highlighted some major wins and successes um, that does show that this does work. Um, even though we don't hear about it every day in the news because the news prefers to have a bit more of a fear. Um, but you know, we are seeing successes and, and thank you for you and your team for all the work that you do. Um, for the audience tune in every two weeks. Again, this is the 401 access denied podcast. Um, I'm your host for the episode. Um, we will have Chloe back again soon. Uh, she's unavailable just to the time zone today, but, uh, stay safe. Uh, Take care and talk to you all soon. Thank you.
0: Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cyberry for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit Delinea.com.